Women in Wellbeing is an Evans Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Muller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Marala Halakha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kifun Lashirut Guidance Program for Religious Girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Eden Center's Women and Wellbeing podcast. This month's podcast is dedicated in loving memory of Yitzchak Isaac Wertheimer. Yitzchak Isaac ben Rab David Yehuda Verif Gazal, a true mensch for his 39th yard sites by the whole Markowitz family here and abroad. For the month of ER, I will be talking with Anne Gordon and Dr. Naomi Mormon Grummet about women's growing involvement and influence in Torah observance, scholarship, and leadership. We will consider the historic accomplishments until now, as well as recent new paths in high-level Torah learning in halachic leadership and writing. We will also think about where there is still room to grow. All this after I share a few Torah thoughts as a springboard for our discussion. What does this topic have to do with ER, you might be asking? We currently are in the period of Svirat HaOmer, counting the days from Pesach to Shavuot. The Torah source for Svirat HaOmer is found in this week's Parsha, Parshat Emor, where it reads, Usvartem lachem, you should count for yourselves. The language of this verse is interesting and raises the question, what does it mean to count for oneself? The Midrash Sifra comments that this highlights that each individual takes part in the mitzvah, kol echad ve'echad. A more deep interpretation is provided by the Sefer HaChinuch, who explains that we count the Omer verbally in order to reawaken within us a desire to receive the Torah and Shavuot and move ourselves toward that special day so that we can appreciate that this is the day when the Jewish people entered Brit Sinai with God and received the Torah. Both these interpretations relate to the idea that counting the Omer helps prepare us for experiencing Shavuot when we will accept the Torah anew and empowers us by way of the process. This interpretation is reinforced when we compare the language of Usfartem Lachem to similar language in another pasuk in the Torah, Vesafra La. This is the language used for a woman counting the seven clean days. In the Torah, this applied to a woman who is in the category of Zava. In the rabbinic period and in Halakha, these seven clean days, these counting of seven clean days, is practiced by women after menstruation, who are in the category of Nida, and after they finish their period of menstruation, they count seven clean days before they immerse in the mikvah. The Talmud teaches, V'safra la, la'atzma. What does it mean that she counts for herself? She literally counts on behalf of herself, le'atzma, for herself, implying that there's some authority given to her here. In the realm of Nida, this becomes the source for the Jewish legal concept of ne'emanu ta'isha, the idea of reliance on and empowerment of women in halachic knowledge and practice. Today, this takes on new meaning as women are reaching new heights of proficiency and empowerment in all areas of halacha teaching, learning, teaching, advising, writing chuvot. 
and this has only enhanced Jewish life for everyone. There is a strong connection between these two countings, Usfartem Lachem Vesafra La. Both of them provide an inspiring model for each individual, each one of us, to empower ourselves to find our connection to Torah, whether it is by learning and speaking up for our own needs in mikvah and in hilchot nida observance, whether it is by learning dafyomi, whether it is by learning, taking exams, becoming a yoetzet halacha, a morat halacha, whether it is by promoting these opportunities within our communities, all of these are ways for women and certainly for men as well, for the entire community um, to be enriched and to enrich the Jewish world as a whole. Stay tuned as I am going to be speaking with Anne and Naomi in just a moment. Anne Gordon is the deputy editor of Ops and Blogs at the Times of Israel, a co-founder of Chochmat Nashim, and a co-host of Talking Talmud, a daily podcast on Daf Yomi. She has taught Judaic studies widely in the U.S. and Israel, and studied in the various women's Batemi Drash for nearly a decade. She is a graduate of Jerisha Institute's Scholar Circle and holds a B.A. in History and Philosophy and an M.A. in Judaic Studies from Harvard University and is A.B.D. in her pursuit of a Ph.D. in Jewish Education. Dr. Naomi Marmin Grummitz who you will know well, is the founder and director of the Eden Center in Jerusalem, which works to improve the experience of mikvah and, through it, to promote the spiritual, emotional, and physical health of Jewish women and families. She developed an extensive training program for mikvah attendants, providing resources for positive communication and women's life cycle in crisis moments. She received her PhD in sociology from Bar Ilan University. Naomi lives in Jerusalem with her husband and three children. Today, we're going to be doing things slightly differently. Uh, We're going to be having a discussion between myself and Anne Gordon and Naomi Marmon Grummet. And so I'm going to pass over the baton to Naomi, who's going to be facilitating this conversation. Um, Anne and Naomi, thank you so much for joining me. And Naomi, over to you. Um, I'm also really excited to be able to be on the podcast and uh, enable this conversation because usually um, I'm just in the wings and it's really nice to be able to be here with you. So um, I would actually love to just continue the conversation from what you shared before uh, and have each of you and us relate to the idea of the Safrala and Neman and Aisha, how women have become empowered in Torah and in Halacha um, how do you see it expressed? Share a little bit about your own story, your own personal Torah journey. Uh, and as the guest, I would love to start with you. And then we'll come back. I don't love the word empowerment. I don't, which is, of course, unfair because that's, you know, the opening salvo. But um, I like to think of it more in the terms of ownership. I think that... What has changed in the time that I have been on the ground as learning, teaching, involved with halacha beyond practice, but also involved in other people's experience of what are they supposed to do? And this goes back a long time. I'm embarrassed to admit how many years, you know, I've been in this kind of casual kind of role. It's obviously nothing formal. Um, 
is I would say that more people feel both better versed in knowing that the questions that are available to be asked, that they know, you know, they're going to come and ask the Kashra question. They will come and say, it's not Benyomo. It's not this. Can I do this? They have more lingo at their disposal. They've been informed, taught, learned better over the years, not because they were asking questions, but because they learned it formally, right? Which I think is something that our mothers and grandmothers may not have experienced. And so that they come with a higher level and a more personally vested question about what are they now supposed to do, given whatever the circumstance might be. So that's halacha specific. I think that in terms of learning Torah, also, I would say ownership. I think that we've seen in the past two plus years, we've seen an explosion of women's learning in Dafyomi. I should note just because I, I have the opportunity, so why not? Dr. Yardena Osband and I have, uh, we co-host a, a Dafyomi podcast um, called Talking Talmud, where we do not go through the entirety of the Daf. Other people do that. Rabbi Michelle Farber is has an excellent podcast for that. And many, 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 many men as well. Let's not leave them out of this conversation. Um, but we found that we wanted to do something a little bit different, which was to engage in a conversation about the daf. And we have found that many other people are glad to engage in a conversation about the daf. Many of them having already gone through the daf carefully, let's say with Michelle Farber's podcast or some other means. And what that means then is that they're coming to the page already with, again, with some personal education, some background, some interest that goes beyond just hearing what your data and I have to say. That's not the point. The point is their own, um, I want to say tfisa, their own holding of the daf in their own hands, so to speak. I don't think anybody is becoming an expert. Daf Yomi moves much too fast for that. Right. But that by itself, getting a scope of what is out there in the world of Torah, I think is a new endeavor in to the degree that it is being approached at this time. And I think that that provides or or gives the opportunity of ownership in a way that is also new. Yes. And um, if I could jump in, first of all, I want to say I love Anne and your Dana's podcast, and I wish I had time to listen to it every day, but the bits I've listened to are absolutely fabulous. Uh, and um, and I think I think you're right. I think one of the, the most recent explosions of whether we're going to call it um, women's empowerment or women's ownership of um, of the potential and the possibility in Torah learning, high level Torah learning, in particular Talmud and Halakha, has been the um, the excitement over Dafyomi, which is incredible. Uh, and I want to take us back though to at least I would say the beginning, but I'll say the beginning for me. Uh, and I think one of the one of the reasons we, we brought together this wonderful group uh, around this podcast table uh, is that the three of us overlapped somewhat at some point um, in the world of women's Bate Midrash programs, um, Bate Midrash programs for women. And so that already pinpoints us to a particular time in his in the history of all of this conversation um, in that there was there were women's batemi drash in existence and not just one but several uh, and so I spent time um, with Anne at Drisha at Matan at Lindebaum if I'm not mistaken and and Naomi I know we were in parallel parallel somewhere we'll figure it out um, uh, but you know already there 
someone had fought, someone had fundraised, someone had created for me. And um, I'm already at that. I was already at that point where I could walk in and learn. That said, it was not perfect <laughs> by any means. You want to jump in? I just, just want to say, so when I was a senior in college, I it happens to be that I did the very challenging, foolish thing of teaching high school and also doing um, a was a BAMA, a master's in Jewish studies at the same time. This was a little bit too much for anybody to bear and I don't recommend it, but what it gave me was a feeling of a tremendous ignorance and where I felt like if I was ever going to spend more time in the classroom or more time in the academic sphere, I needed to first learn more, like to have more cut, what we today would call content under my belt in terms of Talmud Torah. So I set out to figure out how to do that. And my sense was, I would go to Israel, I would be a madricha in one of the Shana Aleph programs, and I would sit in the Beit Midrash, or in the library, or in the whatever, because it really was the very beginning of these Bate Midrash of which you speak. And I said, and I spoke to a friend of mine, who was at that time a madricha in one of these programs, and I said, okay, I'm ready to apply to be a madricha to come sit next year, and I'm going to do all my learning. And she said, you know... They're starting the Berea Scholars at Madrash at Lindemann. Maybe that's more what you want and not the, like, you know, find Lachmaniot for the girls at four o'clock in the morning to make sure that they have, that they're all set for their tiul, for their hike in the, the next day. I was like, sure, I don't really need those obligations. I would love to sit in the Beit Midrash and, and have a shear and have a cohort. And it was really the beginning of something very exciting. Most definitely, most definitely. And uh, some of the relationships I formed during these years, both with chabrutas, with friends, with rabbis, with mentors, no question about it. Uh, and so really, I have only tremendous hakarat hatov and gratitude to these programs. At the same time, there was a little bit of, um, of sort of, for me, I'll speak for myself, of a big question of for how long? Where? How is this all coming together? Uh, and so I kind of bounced from different institution to different institution, got exposed to amazing people, and also myself uh, did academic study, uh, master's in Midrash and Talmud, and a large portion of a doctorate. And uh, and then, okay, you know, and, and it took time, uh, but I realized with time that um, while learning lishma is important and a, be- a very beautiful thing, there is also a value, and and perhaps Anne will disagree with me here, particularly for women who at some point might, you know, have other pressures in their life and other obligations, um, to have some sort of framework, to have um, clear goals, uh, and sort of not necessarily an end point, but and so this brings me to the to the current uh, to the more to more recent history, and uh, and that is what I've been doing over the past six years which is studying in Matan's Morot Lahalacha program, uh, taking exams in, in many areas of Halacha, Nida, Shabbat, Avelut, Morning, um, Kashrut, and, um, and, and then beginning to answer questions uh, for, for people in my community, largely women. I'm not sure why you think I would disagree. I spent, I, before Nishmat had its Yoatzot Halacha program, I learned in Nishmat and took exams. After yes. that, I did the Drisha Scholar Circle, where we had a goal and a curriculum and three years of intensive halacha study, meaning it wasn't a lot of people now. Meaning I think you may have had more people in your program. Yes. Um, you know, my graduate 
my graduation day had two of us um, <laughs> completing the scholar circle at that time. But I think there is something to be said for, first of all, for the formal curriculum. Um, it depends what people want. If you want to learn Tanakh, or if you want to learn Halacha, or if you want to become a, an expert in Machshevet Israel, you're going to have a different path to carve out. But the curriculum of Halacha has long been established. Yes. And so, and so, but, but I think what is new is this concept of, I mean, Drisha Scholar Circle is doing it quite early on. Um, give credit where credit is due uh, to the, to the first, the people who really uh, started things. Um, and also, especially, I think Nishma was a really a trailblazer blazer here in the sense that the Yavatzot Halacha program really, um, for the first time, put women out there and in uh, as a career option to, to be answering halachic questions for other women in the area of Nida. And it's only blossomed from there to other institutions and other areas of halacha. Uh, and so, and so that um, I think that's, if we had to get, if we want to get back to our starting point of the Safra La, uh, for me, that's sort of today's expression of empowerment of women in their Torah learning, in their, in their practice of Torah and Halacha, and in an opportunity for leadership and for, and for guidance and, and help of other women. Well, you know, it's interesting because I'm going to take this to a little bit of a different place. Um, but I'm interested in your both commenting on um, the the safra la. I also see as make it your own, right? When it is in your voice and you are accounting for yourself. But I feel as though oftentimes, also when we approach the text, everybody approaches the text with their own um, baggage is the wrong word, but with their you know their their education, their background, their internal drives. Um, and I'm interested in hearing what you feel about women approaching the text as women, as opposed to... Yes. So I think what we're beginning to see is that uh, is that there is a clear and distinct voice um, and a real impact of women entering the conversation, the halakhic discussion. Uh, I think that uh, conversations about women's uh, bodies as it pertains to halakha women to women has opened up the conversation in a way that it wouldn't necessarily or easily have been between a male rabbi and women. And what that's meant is that, um, is that that's also been able to enhance and, and, uh, and create space in the halacha conversation for greater sensitivities, for possibly slow changes and movements um, with with better understanding of what's going on, and um, and so I I think we do we do see that um, we see the writing of Rabbaniot like um, Michal Tikochinsky who has written about halachic and women's related stuff, which which then you start to slowly slowly see. Um, as, as is the way within traditional orthodoxy, slowly, slowly see um, things being talked about that perhaps were not talked about so openly before. And so uh, that's, I would say, already two ways that we see women's entering of this conversation coming out. First of all, women asking more, women being helped more, and additionally, women's voice brought to the halachic um, question and answer to vote, um, adding new dimensions and sensitivities. I can definitely say that I see that around issues of mikvah, um, that issues come up 
whether, you know, I think that that was part of why the YOSO began was to enable women to feel comfortable to ask. But when it comes to mikvah, certainly, um, I know that many of the people that the Eden Sensor interacts with feel much more comfortable discussing mikvah issues, nida issues with a woman because um, and we can also bring to the table different types of issues. Like recently, the Eden Center hosted a conversation about body image and mikvah. I don't think those are the kind of conversations that men would have necessarily been sensitive to or recognize the impact of those issues on my observance of halakha and my experience of it, right? And even I would... Um, suggest now one of the projects that we're working on is the issue of um, prior sexual abuse and how that um, affects you going into marriage and also specifically triggers around mikvah and nida. And again, even though these things have existed always, the fact that we can bring it out because as women, we talk about certain of these issues is a incredibly different perspective, um, which I'm happy that, you know, from a psychological point of view, from a, from just a, an issue of recognizing and seeing, I'm happy that these issues are being talked about within the context of, okay, how do we deal with this halakhically? Where does this put us? How do we look at these things? And do you... So I have two comments. One is that I, in general, believe in diversity as a tool to a better society. Meaning that's a sweeping general statement, and I'm sure someone can give me an example where that's not true. But in this case, what I mean is the more different interests that become represented at the proverbial table, right? The more people who are involved in the conversation, the more people who are asking and answering and discussing whatever halachic issue might come up, not just in the sphere of Tarat Mishpacha and Nida, which is uniquely women-focused, but things that happen in the kitchen, or for that matter, issues of tefillah, meaning you can go to any sphere of halacha, which is all of the spheres, and the more different voices, and in this I say, you know, women in particular, we expand the conversation to new other fields of discussion that that make the halacha, um, I would say, the halacha is going to be the same, but the question is how many people are aware of where it's going to go. So for example, um, a, a, a field of halacha that has become much more talked about nowadays than it was even a few years ago is that of mon- mental health, right? And now there's a halachic book coming out, maybe even it's this day that we're recording, right? It's right now, there's much more attention to this. And I think that some of that is the involvement of women being more, the society becoming more women, society becoming more open, being more willing to talk about things that didn't used to be talked about, which I do think finds its roots in women's involvement in the conversation. I think that it goes beyond that. I think that there's, again, once you've got more people thinking from more different angles, you know, then you have like, what is the implication of any which question on the children? I'm not saying men don't care about their children and they don't ask about their children, but it's a proverbial women's area and it opens a conversation there in that in new other ways um similarly i mentioned it in the context of mental health but it happens in the context of just 
kashrut and halacha questions, people who have eating disorders. Now, it's a mental health issue, but what's how is that going to manifest when you're dealing with issues of kashrut and how long a person has to wait? Meaning these kinds of questions do actually come up, and maybe they always did, but in the modern era, I think we see them much more publicly. That also might be the fault of social media, but also to the benefit, right? That the that the more different people who are involved in the conversation, the the democratization here, I think, is good. I, I don't think that everybody can answer the halachic shilas. When I say democratization, I mean the very fact that women's voices are being heard uh, in every sphere, as askers and as answerers, or as people who take the question further to the next most knowledgeable person up the chain, right? I think that is very helpful. So that's one point. My other point is, and I, I've seen this in discussions about Dafyomi more than anywhere else, I think that there may be something that is different in the way women approach the sacred texts, not because of being women per se, meaning I don't think it has to do with chromosomes. I think it has to do with education. And the fact that women's education has been different from men's education by and large, at least after people get out of a co-ed high school, let's say, um, the the personal imprint that I think many people find in women's conversation about anything Torah, I don't think it's because women have to personalize everything. I think it's because people personalize and men in general have been handed an authoritative Masora in ways that women have been less so. So that there's not just one right way to understand this, or there's, you know, we have, we just accept what the text says without acknowledging that something in the pages of the Talmud doesn't ring so comfortable for us today i think men can feel that same level of discomfort but they might not acknowledge it because it's kind of not part of their formal education i'm this is you know a much bigger con- conversation than a than a podcast and mm-hmm. and it hasn't been studied and i you know this is not an academic conclusion i'm just it's an observation that i think came out there's a lot of talk about but you know the tiktok talmud of Miriam Anzavin, where people either loved her or really, really did not. And part of that question of, you know, but she brings so much of herself to the daf. And some people found that to be very off-putting and some people found that to be exactly right. Do you think that there are already changes in that education? Sorry, Karen, I'll let you uh, comment, but I'm I'm interested in if you think that's going to be different when girl, especially as co-ed education continues and broaden like are we going to be coming with the same uh you know understanding and look at the text in another generation not that you're a Nabiat and Nabiat but uh um I think I would wager that it's more than just more than just what happens in the classroom I'm sure it's the fact you know also compounded by the way this generation is so much a matter of put yourself out there use your own voice give your own story all of that I think contributes to this will it have impact on men's learning I'm sure uh to what extent it's allowed to have impact on men's learning probably depends on what stripe of Torah education meaning if you go look at the non-orthodox spheres this is happening this has always been happening right very interesting. Yes. Karen, did you want to add something? Yeah, it's funny. Um, it's, you know, I, I try to steer away from um, kind of overall very large gender stereotypes, but I I really agree with um, 
with what Anne was saying. And I think the key is what is what you mentioned, Anne, about the the personal experience in it. And so in the realm of mental health, whether it's um, a male rabbi or a female rabbanit, um, who, uh, what it's their personal experience that they're bringing, which then makes them more sensitive to understanding, um, what it is, what, what it, what it is that is, um, where, where there's nest, where there might be a conflict or a, a need to resolve the tension between, um, a crisis of mental health and, a particular halacha, um, and where we have wiggle room on that. Um, and so the same thing, you know, you see this in the world of, of health and met in the world of medicine, where until women, um, a lot of, a lot of medicine was based on studies on, by men on men until women started to come into the picture, both in terms of, um, as patients and as doctors, and that world is still changing. And our, our tour world is, you know, a lot younger in that way that, you know, the changes we're seeing. Um, and, uh, and uh, just to, it's, we sort of took for granted that our children's education is co-ed. Interestingly, here in Israel, my daughter, my second daughter is about to graduate uh, high school, please God, in a few months. And, um, and it's, you know, from seventh grade to 12th grade, it's, it's all girls. And, fascinatingly this is a school which did support girls learning Gemara but we're still so early days in the sense that uh in the early years they tried to teach all the girls Gemara and most of the time you have these really different girls from you know growing up in all sorts of different cultures and mindsets and some of them just spent the entire class saying to the teacher but but Hamora, isn't it a sewer for, isn't it prohibited for girls to learn Gemara? <laughs> to the point where from 10th to 12th grade, my daughter, along with only two other girls, opted to study Gemara seriously till the end. And, you know, that's, that's where we are. But the, the silver so this line. is my uncompleted doctorate. Right? Everybody's <laughs> going to have, well, too. Naomi, you've completed a doctorate, but yeah. Karen, I feel in good company with you here. Um, oh, but so my, I'll just finish this one thing, one, one positive end on, which is that Adarit, um, her her Gemara rabbi, who is uh, you know uh, on this team, um, gave them a, one of the projects they have to do this week for Yom Atzmut is give a Devar Torah in a shul or street men or wherever you want, stand up and give the Devar Torah to the community. Meaning it's not just about the girls in their own all girls Talmud class. It's about really bringing it back to the community, making this more of a norm. And again, I, I so agree with you both. It's just, it's still baby steps and, you know, we still have, uh, we still have what to do. <laughs> so I was just going to say, based on actual research, and this I actually did do research on, um, I think it's not clear that as many women have jumped on the Dafyomi bandwagon, I'm not sure that everybody's going to jump on the learning in depth, become halachic, meaning the numbers of women who are interested in this as a sphere of their own personal learning. I, I don't know whether it's going to happen in the same way that we assume it for men, right? There are all these men who, let's say, went to Yeshiva University and also became lawyers and doctors and whatever, but also got smicha on, their, on the side. I'm not sure that we're going to see that same kind of explosion for the women. I don't know if the interest is there. It makes me sad um, because, because I think the Torah is there for everybody to come partake, you know, whatever. I think that there's, you know, then you would say high schools in Israel, how many high schools in Israel are teaching 
you know, the way that we all might want to see them teach. I think there are, I think, and I think there are exciting new opportunities happening all the time, but I don't know what the numbers are going to be. And right now, I think I'm going to say now that since I've raised it as a question of numbers, I'm going to say also that I'm not sure that that needs to be our primary concern right now. Because the level is jumping. I think it's admirable that your daughter's teacher is saying, you know, you have to go and bring this to the community. And then he's right, right? As the community sees girls involved, then it becomes less of a horse and pony show, you'll forgive me, and just more of a norm. And I and I think that 30 years ago, let's say, um, there were a few very learned women and everybody turned to them and everybody looked to them and everybody respected their Torah. But anybody else was the horse and pony show, forgive me. And now I think that there's much more of an acceptance that women are going to know stuff, that if you show up at someone's Shabbos table and you happen to know something in, you know, even a comment on the Parsha that isn't, um, that is a more elevated comment, let's say, a more sophisticated comment that has backing in actual learning, people don't ooh and ah, or, or look at you like, who are you? You're from Mars, you're puzzling us that you would even say such a thing i think this is i think that much has changed at least in our circles you know it i um i want to bring up i'm gonna try to bring this together one of the things that eden tries to do is bring women's voices to the floor and specifically around mikva and nida to make us feel like we have the ability to bring our voice just as your daughter should bring her voice to the community, to this, um, that is specifically in the realm of mikvah, which has always been a woman-centered and nida um, tradition, that this is the place where we have to feel comfortable. We have to know the halacha. We have to own our experience over our bodies and what happens in the mikvah. And that's definitely something that Eden has been working hard at. Um, and I could tell you where I see um, the important next steps for women within this realm. Um, but I'm interested in, I'm going to conflate two opposites, and I'm going to ask you, um, what do you think are um, the important areas for women's voices to be included within practice and learning at the same time as what do you see as glass ceilings? Like, what are the biggest challenges? Some of which you've already addressed a little bit, but I just want to, like, bring that out a little bit. Karen, are you... Uh... Go first. Uh, with pleasure. So... Um, I think we are seeing, um, we, we've really seen, I'd say, in the, in the place of um, educational opportunities and programs that allow for women to sit and learn to really, and keep going and keep going. And now we're seeing a whole new level just starting, which is the writing, the writing of Chuvot, the writing of halachic literature. Um, there's amazing examples, Matan's Shaila Project, the Beit Hillel organization has Meshivot Nefesh. There's really some amazing things and we can put these in the show notes. Um, and uh, I think I think those are great. I think there's there's still this tension um, here, and I'll speak here in Israel, which is my experience, to um, what what sort of work career um, positions are going to be open, uh, whether it's uh, connected to a synagogue in some way, whether it's connected to community centers. Um, women, uh, you know, can use the women's Batemi Drash as a springboard for being community leaders, but I think we're going to have to branch out beyond that. And I think those are still the glass ceilings that have not quite been broken. Most girls high school have a rabbi, a male rabbi as the, as the, um, 
uh, school and I think, you know, it's, it's very much time to, it's been talked about. We're just not there yet, making that happen. Uh, I have to give credit to Ortora. My daughter's also, and my son also goes to separate um, sex education, you know, sex schools. But Ortora has a rabbinit and many of the schools in Jerusalem, actually, that is the model now. Mm, amazing. I think we're getting there. We're, we're right. These are the cheap. These are the small changes that are starting. And um, yeah. And so I think uh, those things, as well as we may not, like Anne said, get to the, the huge numbers, but certainly we can still grow the numbers. Uh, and so and so I'd like to see more of that. And um, and, you know, I, I think uh, when you look back on history and you look back on the authorities and the commentaries, it's just mostly, you know, mostly men. And I think this generation is really, and, you know, with all of the incredible innovations of the last generation um, are really starting to change that. So I think that there's several issues that I would call the glass ceiling, although they're not all about upward mobility, let's call it that. Um, One is a matter of money. Um, The factor that money plays in a person's ability to become, you know, a, a real outstanding scholar in whatever field that they're choosing. This is not just a, a Judaics kind of issue. It's not just Torah. Um, but some people need to be able to afford to sit and learn. And sometimes sitting and learning and learning and learning and learning is what it takes. Not sometimes. That is what it takes to become expert in these fields. Whether you're choosing, again, Halacha or Tanakh or Machshava or, or any of the above. Um, so the programs that facilitate women's learning have been fellowship programs and they have been fantastic. And I've been the benefit of beneficiary of this. And I cannot thank all the people who gave the money and the institutions that provided that funding. I cannot thank them enough. At the same time, I need, we need to recognize, I think that at a certain point, you know, the programs are done and now you just have to still put in that time to keep going, to keep sitting and learning and learning and learning. And if you need to go out and make a living as most of us do, then that becomes a cap, right? Like a, if you're going out and you're being a teacher, then your learning becomes focused on the material that you're preparing to teach. And if you're going out to become a community rabbi, rabbi, whatever role that is, then again, like, is it going to bankroll you enough to give you that, um, the ability to really steep yourself in the next level up? And I don't think that we're there yet in terms of, I mean, again, people are not usually independently wealthy, and it's a shame that that's sometimes what it takes. But I think also very few people really want to live in abject poverty for the sake of being able to devote themselves to Torah. Some few people do, but in but again, women, children providing for I don't know regular living, it becomes a challenge. So that's it's I was I don't know if it's a ceiling, but it's a it's an innate challenge to what is it going to take to have women become not just at the level that we've achieved already now, some of the names you've mentioned and so on, but, you know, where do we, how do we bump that level of learning up? Um, High schools. I want to mention Midrashat Afikim because I think that one of the reasons that there are, one of the ways that we get women to be more knowledgeable is to begin their education younger. And so when you have a high school, and this is a new Israeli high school, and there's there will be more of them, right? Where the dedication of the program is meeting the dedication of the students, right? This is a dorm school in, where is it, in Ashdod, I think, something like that. Um, no, in Give Out Washington. 
on the campus of a whole bunch of other schools, right? And one of the things that they do is they have very serious, dedicated students who are dorming there. So they have their pick from all over the country and people who want, where the, where the girls themselves are dedicated, they want to be learning. It's a high school and they have fun, but it's starting them young in a way that we didn't have the opportunity. And I went to a really fine high school and I learned a lot and I cared about learning from a young age, but it still was not the hours and intense intensivity as we might have here. So I, I have to respect the fact that we don't know where that's going to go, right? Naomi goes, what's coming in the future? I think that's what's coming. The girls who come out of a school like that, who take it further and don't go, some of them will become doctors, lawyers or whatever. And some of them will continue in Torah, I expect. And that will be, you know, I'm, I'm eager to see the development there. Um, and the one other glass ceiling I would say is, um, and I've heard this from men as well. I don't think this is a women only issue. Um, there comes a point, I think, where people want to get out and go do. And that means that if you want to go out and you want to do, you want to teach, you want to lead, you want to be involved, then it removes people from that, like, let's just sit and learn kind of issue uh, of focus. And so it's not just about money. It's also about, do you have the zitzfleisch, the ability to sit and focus? And I'm putting all of this on the question of, of learning because I think in my world, that's, that's the, that's the bump. That's where we achieve the next level of whatever we set our hearts to do in terms of um, accomplishment within the community at large. I personally would really, really, really love to study for Dayanut, even though nobody's going to take me to be a Dayanet, right? That's not the, the, that's not the goal, but I would, I would like that learning. But there's no program for it and there's no funding for it. And I'm not sure that at this point in my life that I have the zitzvah for it. So I could find the glass ceiling there, as I've described it, in each of these spheres. But like, yes, there are women now learning the realm of the halacha curriculum. And there are women who are studying Tanakh at the highest level and Machshav at the highest level. But but are we going to get to Dayanot? I don't know. Um, and last, I just want to say one thing about the writing. I think the re- explosion of women's writing is amazing. There are now programs, again, because money, helping fund women to be able to write. And I think that nobody even buys books anymore in this world, right? Everything's online. But still, still, Shabbos learning, right? Having women involved, whether it's writing sparim or writing analysis, um, you know, uh, other elements of not necessarily Shailo to Chuvot, Michal, Dr. Michal to Rabbani, doctor, right? She's writing Chuvot. Other people are writing other stuff, and it's still an explosion of women's learning in that way. And it's visible in a different kind of way, I think, also. That matters. That expands the whole conversation. More people want to be writing than currently can afford to do it. So that's a shame, but it's also much better than the alternative, which would have been. Just a handful of people any having any interest, and and then where would we be? I want to no, say it's actually, really amazing. <laughs> I just want to add one more thing really quickly, Naomi, um, which is I think also it's you know women to women and encouraging each other and and communities encouraging, um, pushing for more women to have more opportunities. Even the small things are incrementally make a huge change. And so you know when when Anne encourages me to write my blog for the Times of Israel, it's it helps. And when Naomi in particular, the Eden Center has been a tremendous um, 
has made me feel tremendous support in my podcasting, my writing, my teaching. And so, and so when places and people like, like you guys do that for others, and I hope I've done it for people too, that, that is huge. And so I'm saying to my, to the listeners now, to our listeners here and saying, Think about your shul, think about your schools, think about your communities, and how many female scholars and residents are brought for Chagim, for Shabbat, for various activities. And, you know, the Safrala, empower yourselves to speak up and to push a bit more to, to bring these great women to wherever you are. And I just want to wrap up, Karen, if I may, um, <laughs> to say that um, we've had a conversation about women's higher learning um, and the Safrala bringing women's voices to the to the forum, um, and I and we've talked about you know the ability to learn on a high level and bring it to the community. But I actually want to bring it for our listeners down one level also. In that the Eden Center tries to help each of us feel comfortable in our mix-up practice and learning for yourself and feeling that you have a voice in what you're doing. And even just if you don't share with other, but you say, one second, I need to understand the concept of staining better or how, you know, what, how would I make a decision over here? What kinds of questions should I be asking, whether it's around mikvah, if it's, you know, the, how do I feel inspired around mikvah, if I don't feel inspired, whatever it is, do that for yourself also. That is also part of the Safrala, bringing our voice, bringing the learning to women at all different levels. Thank you for participating. Thank Thanks you for having me. me. <laughs> it's been wonderful. Thank you all. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of mikvah as a sacred space for women and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.theedincenter.com, to learn more about our work in making mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is a product of the Eden Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E-D-E-N-P-O-D. Additionally, give us a five-star rating, share this podcast on social media, and encourage others to subscribe.